I almost gave up, but my mom was actually the one who said, don't give up. It doesn't make sense. You guys looked at everything and there's, there should be, you, you looked at everything. You guys are supposed to be allowed to have this. And she saw the difference just having them for three weeks made in my son. And she's like, we can't not have them on your property. It's amazing what's happening in front of our eyes. And she wasn't wrong. So I was like, all right, you're right. I can't not fight. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast. I'm Matt DeRozier. I'm joined today by Kaylee Hart of Chicken Heart Homestead. Kaylee is new to homesteading, raises goats, and sells soap in New York. How's it going, Kaylee? Good. How you doing? Doing good. Thank you. So you, I reached out to you, and you messaged me back. I appreciate that. And you no said um, you've barely started homesteading, like, at this point, a year and a half, I want to say? Two and a half. Two and a half now. Okay. So how did you get into it? Well, we, uh, we had friends who have just like a whole bunch of chickens and we were starting to get eggs from them. Cause we were like, you know, let's, let's try like real homegrown eggs and everything. And we fell in love with like the flavor and the quality of the eggs. Like even just the color of farm grown eggs, yolks is completely different from store bought. And, uh, my husband was eating just tons of them. I was constantly making trips to my friend's house to go get more eggs and go get more eggs. So I cracked a joke with him one day, like, we might as well just get our own chickens. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, really? And I just, I flew with it. Literally like 10 minutes later, I was down at the farm store ordering chicks because I knew if I gave him enough time to think about it, he'd second guess it. We didn't have a coop, nothing at the time. <laughs> but I was just like, okay, chicken. And that started it. Thankfully, um, chickens, like, even though you didn't have the infrastructure, they're pretty easy. I mean, you can literally buy a box of stuff to raise them at, like, almost any farm store and get up and running in 30 minutes. So, yeah, at least it's easy that way. So how did you what 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 happened after that? How did you get into the goats? So we we got really into the chickens first. We, um, we did a lot of YouTube watching and we just were watching all sorts of different YouTubers with their homesteads and the things that they were doing. And we've come across a lot of them that it wasn't just chickens or ducks or geese or something. They had, you know, other farm life and we are limited as far as our property goes, um, as we are only on a two acre lot and we're in a village. So we're very limited with coding rules and everything of what we could have. And my husband was like, I really want to have goats. So we looked into it and we just decided to figure out which breed we wanted. We figured out the Nigerian dwarfs seemed like a really good fit. They're slightly quieter and they're smaller breed and good for dairy. And we just, we went full throttle. It wasn't just get two because, you know, they're herd animals. It was, let's yeah. start off with like 11 or 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't playing games. I guess not how is the goats um oh there you go yeah That's here's forky. One of this is forky he's our our newest little baby he comes from incredible show lines and milk lines so he's gonna bring some really nice um nice babies to the herd i've never watched anybody milk a goat 
Is it difficult? I could not do it by hand. Um, I tried and I just made her so angry and so ornery. So I wound up just, <laughs> I felt so bad for her. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But um, I wound up just getting a milk machine from Amazon for like 110 bucks and it works beautiful. And she stands there nice for it. That was pretty slick. Yeah, well, a long time? Does it depend um, on the goat? Maybe 10 minutes from start to finish for one goat. Just once a day, twice a day? It depends on how when you want to do it. You could do it once a day. You could do it twice a day. It depends on if they're feeding babies and if you want to separate them. I like to just do it in the morning. Um, I don't really like to be bothered. And it's hard to get out of the house because of our son being autistic. Um, it's hard to get out of the house and trust him alone for a few minutes if I have to run outside. So we always have to schedule things very carefully around him. Sure. So do you want to do you want to get into about using the goats with uh, with your son? Sure. Um, so we, we initially weren't really planning on using the goats for for anything to help him. But we'd noticed when we first brought in the chickens, even before the goats, that um, our oldest son, who's severely autistic and mostly nonverbal, um, he started to want to get involved and he would come out and he'd want to pick the eggs or, you know, just kind of look at them. And he'd think that they were funny when they were rolling in the ground. And then we brought the goats home and, and it was a whole new ball game. We started naming them after like his favorite Disney characters, hence Forky from Toy Story. And, um, it gave him a, a way of relating to them and like immediately because, Oh, they have a really cool name. You know, we have a goat named Susie sheep. She's not a sheep. She's a goat. <laughs> from Peppa Pig. Um, but it helped him relate to them. And um, once we brought them in, this nonverbal child starts telling them good night every night from the window. And um, he goes out there and he wants to help me haul the buckets of water to, to go bring to them and stuff. Um, the one downside we realized is because autistic kids can be very sensitive, um, is that well, it's not a downside. It's actually a really good thing um, that they can't have a dirty housing at all. It has to be super clean because he's like sensitive to the smells from them. So like the buck pen, he doesn't really go in too much because the bucks, no matter what they have, they have a musk to them. Okay. But the um, the does and the weathers, they he he does. He really enjoys them. And right now, this little this little dude literally goes upstairs every single night and tucks him in. And then they sing him a night night song and they tell him it's time to go to his crib because he sleeps in a pack and play with the fed sheet over it. That's really great. I, that's such a great story. That's, uh, that's why you, um, when you told me like what it is you do and whatnot, I was so excited to get you on. Cause I was just like, I've never heard anything like this before. This is amazing. Just like, I don't know. It's just a feel good thing that like, mm -hmm. Hey, there's, um, Similarly, I have a, um, I would say a mentally challenged cousin and him and horses are just like him and his horses. Just that's all he like. He, he's just has like horse chores, loves riding his horses, just loves playing with his horses. Just mm -hmm. like there's something about connections with animals and Absolutely. It's um, under, people don't realize they have a school around here, which is one of the reasons why I kind of encouraged him to do stuff is 
there's a school uh, for children like him around here and they have a whole farm that the kids go to and they help and they do things um, for these animals and they all really love it. So there's, there's definitely something to it. Yeah. It's, it's really powerful. And like, I think you, like you said, it's, it's underrated for sure. Um, so I guess um, back to the goats, I'm, I'm a little curious about your, restrictions in where you live okay um you can have goats but not so what what are the things that you like can't have um i can't have a rooster okay <laughs> i can have um up to 18 chickens um okay nothing else is written in the code as far as like other fowl <laughs> um our property size in all technicality, there's nothing written saying we can't have a cow or we can't have a horse, but we live on two acres. I'm not going to do that to a cow and I'm not right. going to do that to a horse. It's not fair. Um, but um, no, there, there's there's some restrictions. There's nothing written in, in our code about goats. We actually had an issue where the village code enforcer had come to the house and he had told us that we had to get rid of everything. And we did at first got rid of the first two goats we have, which we have back now. Um, and we looked further into it because we've looked up all the coding. Everything right. said that we were allowed to to have everything that we have. Um, and I actually had to get his boss on him and they had to bring in the village attorney to look through the code and everything to find out that he acted too quickly in telling us to get rid of things without looking into it, that it's not written and because it's not written, we can have those things. But since the connection Riley has developed with them, um, I spoke to his doctor and she wrote us just as a backup in case they ever change the law and mm. we'd have to fall into like a grandfathered in thing or whatever. She wrote us um, a doctor's note for him that basically states that he, as long as he has his condition of autism, which is a life condition, can have an entire herd of goats. So they're safe. Good. That's I like that you went over that guy's head instead of fighting him. You're just like, you went, I like that. I like that tactic a lot. Just put it, put him in his place. I almost gave up, but my mom was actually the one who said, don't give up. It doesn't make sense. You guys looked at everything and there's, there should be, you, you looked at everything. You guys are supposed to be allowed to have this. And she saw the difference just having them for three weeks made in my son and she's like, we can't not have them on your property. It's amazing what's happening in front of our eyes. And she wasn't wrong. So I was like, all right, you're right. I can't not fight. So we fought. True. We got the two back. Unfortunately, one was supposed to be a breeding buck. And um, where he went was to rescue. And he got castrated. So we don't get to use him as a breeder. But he's the happy little weather telling us when our girls are in heat now. So... There you go. Still, still making them work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then what else do you have on your homestead? We have a bunch of chickens and mm -hmm. we have a miniature pig. She lives inside the house. We've actually had her longer than we've had any of the other farm animals. Oh. Um, her name is Peppa. She, she is six years old. <laughs> should she have is, guessed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> She's six years old. She lives in the front room of the house. Um, and uh, she's just, she's like a pet. She's like one of the dogs. And then we have three dogs and a bunch of little inside furry critters. We, we love animals in this house. I can tell. Yeah. 
Um, what about what about your garden? My greenhouse just collapsed with the winter, so it needs to be redone. Oh. Yes, sure did. Well, it was one of those like pop-up greenhouses, so it lasted a good two yeah. years. And this year I knew it just was kind of already shot. And I've got other plans mm -hmm. in my head of what I want to do, which brings me to my goal of this summer is I'm going to learn how to use a chainsaw. Um, I want to build a... Nice. Yeah, I want to learn how to build um, kind of like a cabin-like structure around the raised beds that I had built. And okay. I want to turn it into like a, just like a really cool with like the natural wood. We have a lot of trees that we had felled. And um, I want to take a lot of the wood from those trees and just create kind of like a cabin base with like the side paneling and make just like a really intricate looking neat greenhouse. That's so cool. I've got, I've got some summertime goals. I try to come up with like one or two things that I want to learn that's new every year and and like little projects that are like okay let's get this done this year and maybe next year we'll focus on that we try not to overwhelm ourselves with you know let's get it all done that um that definitely backfires because then you're just drowning to try to get everything done and then nothing gets done absolutely so, like i've got a rock path that i started building for for drainage because all the water runs off the gravel driveway to one side of the house and then it was just a ton of work <laughs> digging out the hard dirt and then, um, you know, putting in drainage there. And I stopped and I don't even remember why I stopped. But it doesn't matter because right now it's just a muddy mess because there's no more rocks. They stopped. Mm -hmm. They stopped putting in the rocks and it's been like that for two years. And so yeah. I got to come up with a different plan or just finish it. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so what so bigger greenhouse, nicer greenhouse. Mm -hmm. What what motivates you to grow your own food? The quality of food. Um and and my son, I think a lot too, because um he he's not just autistic, and most autistic kids also come with ADHD, which he has a nice case of in addition to his autism. And um there's a lot to be said about food and the quality of the food and the fake preservatives and everything and the dyes and stuff that are in a lot of like store-bought foods, um, basically exasperating the hyperactivity and his inability to focus and stuff like that. So having more natural foods come from a place that we're familiar with, that we know, we know where they came from. We know if they were sprayed with anything, which they wouldn't be because I just don't like doing that. Um, right. But we know exactly it started as this teeny tiny little seed and it grew into something. And I mean, there's pride there too. You put a seed in the ground, you water it, you take care of it, you nourish it. You hope the moles don't eat it. And then if they don't, you've got something to put on your own table, which is, it's really pride. Like, there's a lot of pride involved in that. So in, in doing the, um, growing your own food and feeding it to your, have you noticed a difference in his behavior or attention or just by feeding him homegrown food? Um, we're still getting to a point where he's getting more food from us than, than the, um, than the grocery store. But right now we don't have any, um, any does in milk, but I did notice in the summer when we had our one doe that was in milk that had kitted, um, he was getting his medicine in her milk morning, afternoon, and night. And because he was drinking the goat's milk um, that came from the farm, we knew what we were feeding her. I did notice 
his behaviors were a little bit different in in a good way. And he was a little bit calmer. I mean, granted, he was getting medication, but it was just, it was a noticeable difference in his focus. And this summer he blossomed in speech and everything else. And he was eating some vegetables and stuff from the garden as well and, and things. It was just not as much store bought stuff as it was from home. You know, his eggs are now always from home. We have that, you sure. know, and, um, it, it seems to be, I think we've seen improvement in him, whether I can say definitively that it's because of the food or whatever, I, I can't, but right. I noticed we, we've fair. seen a lot of growth in him this year. That's awesome. So is, would you say that a goal of yours is to just, just keep producing more of your own food and then less buying from the store? Is there a, is there a point? Like, is it a hundred percent? Is it 75%? 50? What would um, you? No, absolutely. Um, I'd like to expand more on the greenhouse. I am not the best with the green thumb. I'm working on it. I figure like third year's a charm. Um, the first year I had done pretty well and got all the way up until about a week or so before it was time to harvest a lot of stuff and something went through the greenhouse and ate at least i would say 80 percent of my crops oh no so it That's was terrible. i think it was like moles or something they crawled up through the raised. i have raised beds that are about like 21 in inches deep or whatever and whatever it was crawled up through i think it was moles so the next summer, this last summer, I uh, I physically dug out each and every raised bed, and I did a Hugo oh method gosh. in the beds. So I had to take the sticks that were still in there because it was Hugo culture. So there were sticks in the bottom, and then all this other stuff, and I had to dig it all up and all out. And um, I lined the bottom with um, hardware cloth. Like these little suckers aren't getting up through here this time. Mm -hmm. And I filled them all back in. That was like a weekend's worth of work. You know, the kids are at school, the husband's at work, and I'm out there just shoveling away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that sounds it. like so much work, but it and needed it, to be but done. But I like it. I, he, he, my husband's so funny because he enjoys the work too, but I'm like my dad. I get working on a project and I'm like, I don't care if the sun's going down. I want to finish it. And I'm like fully engulfed in it. And he's like, come inside and eat dinner, <laughs> take a shower. And I'm like, it's fine. And he's no, come inside. So he's kind of my, um, my ground. He keeps me, keeps me actually drinking and eating. I would say. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? I completely understand. I've been there. Yeah. Yep. So that's cool that you do Hugo culture in, inside of a, inside of a raised bed so you I didn't have, have enough dirt to fill the bed and it's really expensive and I didn't have the huge heap of compost until this year or anything so I had to come up with something to fill the bed and to make it high enough so I I learned about Hugo culture and I said you know what this sounds like an awesome thing it's just going to biodegrade inside and create more of a healthier soil so I said let's go for it and we had tons of sticks and stuff because we had a bunch of trees felled so I just went out and collected as many sticks as I could and filled the whole bottom. And we had straws filled up with straw. And then I put some um, compost and then dirt on top and did it right inside the raised bed. It was a good way of filling it. That's great. So what other like methods um, or techniques are you trying on your place? 
Um, we, we've tried a lot of things. I mean, honestly, YouTube leads us to so many different ideas. And it's like one person says, oh, do it this way. The other one says, do it that way. And sometimes we'll combine them and make it our own way. Um, I did a water piping system because I'm too, I like to farm, but I also like easy. I don't, I do not like lugging water. Um, I think it's a waste of time and a pain in the butt. So I came up with, um, I found a video again on YouTube and, and kind of made it my own and, um, ran PVC piping from the hose spigot and, put it all together and made two new spigots, one by the chickens, one by the greenhouse, and then have it where all we have to do is turn the hose on and it's got ball valves to turn it on or off and different ball valves and different lower and high points so you can drain it out so it doesn't pop in the winter time. And that helped us because I'm lazy and I would rather just have a hose right where I wanna be and not lug a pail of water to where I wanna go. I hate winter time, like I want spring now because I'm lugging water. <laughs> I, I can absolutely relate. Um, I put on this year, it was like, uh, I think it was prime day or something like that. And I bought five irrigation timers that like hook in line with a hose. So the little watering that I have to do for like my potion stamp of a lawn, cause the rest of it's like, I'm on t just over two acres also. Okay. Uh, the rest of it's just like sage and napweed and just kind of, I like the sage, napweed can go away. But like, anyways, the lawn barely needs any, any, any watering, but I don't want to do it. So I just put it on timers and let it go. So, yeah, I mean, the thing like to do like those little tricks, it just lets you put in like the five, 10, 15 minutes here and there to the other things that you really want to absolutely need to get done. Not like these mundane carrying water or carrying a hose or whatever it is. So absolutely little things like that always, always um, work out. Don't eat my hair. <laughs> is that an issue? Do, do oh. your goats eat your hair? Not all of them. This guy, though, will just chow down and I tell him it's hair, not hay. And he just doesn't listen. Well, if it didn't smell like hay, I'm assuming. No, well, it could. I mean, I'm outside. All the time. <laughs> so so what if you tried that worked well? Homesteading. <laughs> Homesteading's working out really well. I'm glad. It is. It doesn't always for everybody. No, no, it really, it doesn't for everybody. But um, we we found a part of us that we didn't know existed until we did this. And uh, it brought my husband and I closer together. It brought the kids and us closer together. Um, heck, it gave me a, a business to do from home. And I've been thinking for years, how how can I possibly maybe work for home from home and spend more time with my son? His behaviors require me to be home. So I'm constantly stuck doing like you know a evening shift of some kind of job that is only like one two, two or three days a week because I can't be away from him too long because it affects him so um it's got me to a point where you know my hope is that you know by this time next year that I'm not doing a side job at all anymore that I'm working straight from the house and that I can have all my focus here on the farm and the family and and everything else. So homesteading, it, it did. It brought us a lot of, a lot of good. 
Good. That's great. Um, so what, what hasn't worked so far? You're trying, you're trying new things, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What hasn't worked? Ducks. Don't buy ducks. Just because they're messy? They're horrible. <laughs> they're so sweet and they're loving and you, you hatch them from these little eggs and you're like, oh, and then they love you and they follow you around and then they grow up one day and then they act like they don't know you. You have to chase them into their house because they don't know how to listen. They flatten all of everything and turn it into a muddy mess and they like shoot poop. It's not even like a chicken where it just falls. It's just like they shoot wet, gross. It's just nasty. Um, no, ducks just were not, um, they're not for this homestead. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. That's fair. That's fair. Not every, not every animal can be for every every place there's no one size fits all like i don't think i'd really want goats so i mean i thought about sheep we almost pulled the trigger on sheep but we we've have like a lot of infrastructure that we would need to do in order to keep sheep but um yeah i don't know because i've heard a lot of people have a really great great time with ducks but i feel like they're also very noisy they can be. They can. You know what's really noisy? A guinea hen. I I haven't heard that. Are they noisy? Oh my gosh, they're horrible. We just we have my mom's. I uh, during spring I hatched out eight guinea hens for her, and we gave them to her, and I helped her set up. But you know what we thought was a really safe um, habitat for them at her property, and uh, it was safe against most things, but not a bear. And uh, one survived out of all eight. So she, I told wow. her, I was like, you can't, you can't leave him there because the bear's going to come back. And I brought my trail cam over and hooked it up inside. And I says, you watch, he's going to come back. I took the guinea hen home with me and let it live with the chickens. And um, lo and behold, on that trail cam, there comes the bear crawling in there like, hey, where's, where's the rest of the meat, you know? So... But yeah, we have him and I can't wait to return him. I mean, he's nice and cool looking, but he is loud. They're like an alarm system. Anytime we hmm. come walking down the driveway, they're just and then um any like the the one thing is good is like if if the deer are walking around in the yard or a fox or something, they're they are an alarm system. So they are loud, but they're useful loud, like not like ducks. I did not know that. Hmm. I'm gonna have to after this, I'm gonna have to look up what a guinea hen sounds like because we got a like a catalog for poultry. Be like, hey, would you like to buy more meat birds this year? Mm, not this year, but and guinea hens is one of the things. Sorry, and uh, <coughs> <laughs> yeah, we both got problems today, but that's all right. We're working yeah. through it. Yeah, sure. Um, and guinea hens was was in um, was in the catalog, and I'm like, oh, I've heard you know good things about these. Like my wife and I, we like watching Homestead Rescue, even though. Oh my gosh, we were watching that last night. Over the top, dramatic. Uh, it's just funny though. But and so they used guinea hens, I think, in one of the one of the episodes. And so we thought about it because they're supposed to be like good foragers and whatnot. And I was just like, I don't know. And they're really good for ticks. That's why I, I hatched them for my mom is because she had 
she had such a bad tick problem on her property. Um, we went for a walk through her yard and five minutes later, we're back at the house and pulled five or so deer ticks off of us. Um, wow. And I said to her, I says, I can't bring the kids over here until we do something about it. And she's, she's very homeopathic and, you know, she doesn't oh, that's want cool. natural things and stuff like that, you know? So I says to her, I said, get yourself some guinea hens or some chickens, but the guinea hens can eat over 3,000 ticks in a day. I think That's it's 3,000. Don't hold me to that fact. It's either 1,000 or 3,000, but it's definitely in the thousands. Um, and that's just one guinea hen. And I think that the ticks are attracted to them because of their body heat or their carbon monoxide or something that they expel. Hmm. And they go right to them to just be eaten or something because we had gotten her eight and they were in a small spot on an 11 acre lot. Now she doesn't use the whole 11 acres, but the section that we were having issues far away from where they were, there were no more tick issues and they weren't being let out constantly. So that something was good about them being there. They, the numbers completely dwindled. Um, complete side question. Go ahead. Um, with your mom being more homeopathic, was there anything, like any suggestions that she had for you, um, for your oldest son being autistic? Like, hey, I, I, I am just, I have no idea what anything would be like. Not really. This. She's always offered advice. I don't think there was anything um, medicinal you know, like, or, or herbally, whatever, you know, um, offered as far as, uh, his condition goes. Uh, a lot of the times, like, like she was just telling me a whole bunch of things to take because we just got over COVID, you mm -hmm. know, he, she was, you know, take zinc and vitamin C and vitamin D and, you know, take, uh, drops of oregano essential oil mixed with olive oil and put it under your tongue and hold it there as long as you can. And she's all these things will help you. And I know they will, but, um, I don't think there was anything other than, you know, just the typical, we got to get him into speech therapies and occupational therapies and the right school and stuff like that. Um, nothing really medicinal wise. I don't, I don't remember. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. Cause like I've known people that, <laughs> that are like that. And like my wife is in a herbal class right now and, um, she came back from class. She every her classes are two hours, um, two hour sessions once a week, and she'll just like unload everything that she just learned on me, and it's super cool. Like you know, oh wow, I didn't know that about what like this thing or like metals and like rose hips, and you know we can make a thing out of this. But you know, mm -hmm. we got little hairs in. It. I don't know, just like little, almost like a lost it's almost like lost knowledge like it is just, lost it's knowledge. Not, it's not taught like conventionally so no no you're you're told big pharma is what is it's supposed to be and that they're supposed to be the fix-all cure-all and not realizing that growing in your backyard could be something that may help you better i mean i don't know how many times i've used something herbal and found that it's treated me way better than you know taking that cough syrup, you know, sometimes oh, yeah. school remedies. I mean, for COVID right now, you know, one of my biggest things for the cough is a spoonful of sugar 
with a couple drops of whiskey on it and you eat the sugar and it works better for my cough than Robitussin does, you know? Hmm. That was grandpa's grandpa's secret recipe for, for getting rid of a cough. I might have to remember that one. I'm no. not like a, I'm not really a drinker or anything like that, but it's not about a couple drops. It's just about getting the whiskey to just kind of just gently coat the sugar and you eat the sugar. You're not doing it for the whiskey. You're doing it for sure. the sugar with, the whiskey on it. <clears throat> One of my favorite things is um, when we go and get sushi in town, um, they give you pickled ginger and it's really good. And anytime like my stomach's not feeling right, ginger. Um, I eat a couple slices of that pickled ginger and it's really good. We tried making it ourselves once. It was not the same. It was, um, and it took a whole, <laughs> it took a long time to like to peel it because it doesn't really peel. It you more like shave it. I was gonna say it looks more like a something that's kind of it's like a root vegetable. So I would think you would just like a carrot. Yeah, um, because it has like all those nooks and crannies in it. You really take more like. A, the edge of a spoon and like scrape the skin off the ginger and then um, dice it up. Um, not dice. Sorry. You slice it. And then the pickling brine might've been a little, been a little weird on ours as well. Pickling but, um, is an interesting thing to, to take, to take on. It's not every pickle can taste totally different. Getting the brine just right is, is like, I feel like you have to be years worth of like master, it's got to be, it's like an art. That is true. Um, I was, I was working on this um, ranch in Montana and they're like, would you like some sauerkraut? And I never had like, I'm a, I come from like meat and potatoes world, right? Like I'm, I'm not eating sauerkraut. Um, but I, but I was like, whatever, I'll try it. And so I tried it. I'm like, this tastes like pickles. No one told me this tastes like pickles. This is great. And like next night she opened another jar. Like, would you like some? Like, sure. Tasted totally different. Like, I don't know what it tasted like, but it didn't taste like pickles. <laughs> so, I mean, just from batch to batch and who knows what, when they were, if they were even canned or jarred the, yeah. the same day or whatever. But, um, so what would you say the biggest challenge in homesteading is that you face so far? Um, I would say our lot size has been a pretty interesting challenge is trying to accommodate what we want to do around what we're allowed to do because we have to follow so many rules. Um, yeah, I'd say that's pretty much like the biggest challenge. Um, and where we're, where we're located, we also have to plan for things based off of like, you know, what's it going to be like in winter? What's it going to be like in the summer? Is it going to be a certain, like we had uh, issues with the lower half. We have our, our property kind of cuts into two almost. Um, we have what we call our lower field. And that was not usable up until last summer um, because it would flood. And oh. they finally, they, they fixed the issue of drainage that was outside of our property line. So we weren't allowed to fix it, but they finally came in. Whoever owns that property fixed it and dug it out and has it now where there's a nice big 
the water goes where it's supposed to go. But there was like a whole good, I would say, half an acre we couldn't use because of flooding. So it's just a matter of like figuring out. You just got to think really, really good before you do stuff. But I mean, we've got everything I think we're going to want. I mean, eventually I do want a horse, but that's not going to happen on this property. Um, and we're here for at least the next 10 years and wherever we go, everything's coming with us except for the house. So <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, that flooded area would probably be pretty good for ducks. <laughs> yes. I don't want ducks. <laughs> Not again. Um, well, <clears throat> anything that you wanted to do that you couldn't physically do on this property, would um, would you be able to use your your mom's place or like a neighbor rent some rent some like a lot near you or is that is that option? Have you have you researched that at all? I mean. There are options. Like I had thought about maybe doing my own hay um, because hay gets expensive and we have a hard time like this time of year right now. We've, we've come across like our hay, our hay guy. He's out. There's no more hay. Um, oh. So now we have to find like other sources and stuff like that, which we have, you know, a local farm store that's literally right down the road and they always have hay. But it's like where we would pay six dollars a bale. Now we're paying ten dollars a bale. You know, so Ooh, it's it's a, a price market. difference. Yeah. Um, and we, we do it. So we are thinking of adding more um, structures, like a hay storage structure of some sort or something like that, um, which we can do on this property with no problem. Um, what do you call it? Uh, I was going to do like maybe like haying fields or something like that. My mom offered up part of her land which would be great, but I would have to plow it, which I don't have a plow <laughs> or any of those things. And I'm definitely not going to do it by like hand, <laughs> but I, I won't, um, I won't just hay the field that she has. Cause I don't know what's in there. I'm very particular about what I feed my goats. And I've heard horror stories about, you know, like milkweed getting into a batch of hay and all of a sudden half the herd is dead. So I'm, um, I'm very, very picky about looking at my bales of hay before I give them to them. Um, my animals eat probably better than I do. Um, and definitely much more timely than I do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're very, we're very picky about all that. So, um, one option that a lot of people do around here, because obviously buying hay equipment is expensive is that they just hire out someone to hay their property so that already is haying so like um and typically you don't even have to pay them for it they just take a cut of the hay so like hey i'll take i'll take a hundred bales and you take 80 or something like that whatever whatever it works out to be um they'll just they'll just do it because they like hmm. i'll have to look they, into that i did yeah. see a friend, of, a friend of ours was uh was offering services to hate people's field but i never asked really like what it was involved in it um we don't have enough property to really just be like hey come here with your big crazy equipment and and hey it'll he'll be like you know one swoop and he'll be like all right i'm done yeah. 
Yeah, you know? how do I, I can't turn around now to get out. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or he'll get trapped in the mud because there's, there's some pretty mucky spots in certain spots of the property, so. Yeah, there was um, one, one guy I was talking to, he, he, he does haying for like mainly he's, he's a ranch kid. And he went to this neighbor's property, like, Oh, is there anything in here in this field that I should know about? And like, mm, Nope. And so he's, he's hanging their field and he think they hit like the wellhead or something like that, or something weird on their, on their property that was sticking out and uh, it was covered with, with hay. couldn't see it. And so he, like the money that he made selling the hay was less than the cost of repairing the thing plus the equipment that of his own that he that he ruined and so he's like i i want to be mad and i still am kind of mad but like you you told me there wasn't anything in this field and you didn't want any of this hay i was just gonna like you just wanted it hayed you're just gonna give it to me. That's fine, but like, come on, like, this is now, this is now a lot of work for me. That's rough. So, yeah. So, um, what would you tell somebody that wanted to get started in homesteading, or specifically goats? Um, I'd say definitely check to make sure that you are allowed to have whatever you're allowed to have. I don't know how many times I've seen stories of someone saying, oh, we just got these goats and then now the village is telling us we can't have them or their town is saying this is not allowed on our size property or in this specific zone. Um, so definitely just be mindful of where you live and what the rules and regulations are for where you live. Also dream big, but start small. Don't plan to finish everything in one year, it's not going to happen. Make yourself small goals that you know you can achieve and you're going to succeed. You know, it's not going to happen overnight and it shouldn't happen overnight. You know, your hands get dirty every single day because that's what you're in it for. You don't, it doesn't just start one day and stop the next, you know, you're in it for life. Know that they live, you know, anywhere between 12 and I've seen 16 years on a goat. And if you're not going to devote your time to having that animal forever, or if you're buying them for meat, that's one thing, but you know, you're buying a living creature. So make sure that it's life counts for something and that it has a good life while it's on your property. I don't know how many times I've seen people just giving up animals all the time. And it just, it bothers me when they come to my property, that's their forever home. That's well said. Um, Especially, I see a lot of people uh, giving up roosters. A a buddy of mine put out an ad on Craigslist and I think Facebook Marketplace. Like, I'll take all your roosters. All of them. And people were just dropping them off by like the dozens. And he ended up with 80 roosters <laughs> on his property. Fed them for about two to four weeks, I want to say. And then in a weekend, processed them all. Stocking up the freezer. So I was like, that's pretty smart. 
I mean, that's a good way to stock up the freezer. But I mean, if that person raised that rooster and was like, yeah, I hope it has a good home. Like, I mean, that one's a hard one. I've hatched, I've hatched chicks before and I've had to give up roosters. You know, that one's, that one's a different, some, I mean, like I knew I couldn't have them, but you know, you want to hatch chicks. So you take the risk of, you know, you have to get rid of some. So you try your best to find them a good home, but roosters, they typically go to freezer camp. You only need one or two on the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise they'll just fight like, crazy. <laughs> um, so you're into the soap and you're, are you selling, uh, goats currently? Um, we have three does bred right now. Uh, the first one, I'm not a hundred percent sure of her due date. Um, she stood for the buck two times and went into heat two times. So I'm not sure if she's due in March or if she's due in April. Um, keeping a close eye on her though, around the first possible due date, but we have one due anywhere March 19th or April 10th. We have another one due April 14th and then we have another one due May 6th. What's, is that, is that normal that they're spread out from like that far of like a month? Um, well, ours, a lot of ours are young cause we just started out. So we, we have a lot that are, um, you know, not even quite a year old yet. Um, you can oh, breed them okay. as early as uh, seven or eight months old if they make all of the body requirements. So you want to make sure that they're at least 40 pounds or larger. This is the Nigerian dwarf goat breed. I'm not talking about, you know, the larger breeds or anything like that. Um, but you want to make sure that they're at least 40 pounds and that they have, um, it's called thorough, thorough the thorough. It's basically their, their pin bones on their back end, you have to make sure that you can't just, you know, touch them like this with space in between your hands. You have to be able to really make sure that they're wide enough to carry babies. Um, and that they're overall just, they look like they've got good size and, and everything else and that they're healthy and, and stuff. So we only had out of our five does, we had one, she's just three years old. So she definitely is fine. Um, and then we had two younger ones that were the right age and that, did meet the physical requirements. And then we have two other little girls that are the right age, but they just have not met the physical requirements yet. They're just on the smaller side. Some grow quicker, some grow smaller. So, um, I mean, slower. So we have three that are bred right now and we'll probably retain a female or two from the, these kiddings, but everything else is going to be up for sale. They're all ADGA registerable so they can be shown. Um, and they, they come from, most of them have very good show lines and milk lines, but it's a few generations back. All the breeders we got ours from um, hadn't done shows or anything like that with them. So our plan is to get my son taking the, the goats to show and getting our girls on milk testing and stuff so that we can bring those hidden genes that, you know, are a few generations back, back into into play and get them their pedigree to go a little bit higher sure that makes sense yeah can i ask what you sell your goats for uh it depends um like this little guy when he starts making babies they're going to be a lot more expensive because his dad is a three-time grand champion three-time best in show two-time best in breed um and a whole bunch of other stuff and also comes from stellar milk lines he's already like a star beat buck um, and then his mom, same thing. She won a few shows or a show or two, and she has her milk star already. So 
he's going to be pushing some really good genetics into the herd. So his babies will sell for more expensive. Um, the ones that we have, we have to play it safe. We can't just sell for $200 and hope that somebody doesn't turn them into meat. They're dairy goats. They're not meat goats. We love our animals. We don't want to see them turn into somebody's food or go to auction. So we sell them for a little bit more expensive and they are ADGA. They are good. They all look really good. They can be shown. So our does go for a start of $450 um, a head. Our bucks start at $350. And it, the price is subject to change depending on certain features that they come with, they come out with. Um, and weathers are always $200, $250 because they're castrated bucks. They're only good as a pet. Okay. So, like, what kind of features would somebody be looking for when they're buying a goat? Uh, it depends on what they're looking for it for. So they could be looking for a stronger dairy line. So they may pinch the skin and look for a looser skin on the goat. Um, a looser skin on the goat means that the bag has an ability to fill. Even on a buckling, bucklings pass over a lot of their milk production genes to their daughters more so than their moms do. Um, so um, they'd be maybe looking at like the skin or they might be checking out like, you know, do you have pictures of the udder to see what they look like? I mean, I've seen some of the udders, like this little guy's mom's udders are like way bigger than my head. I mean, just these giant things, but you also want the connection of the udders on the back end to be strong and solid because you don't want that bag hanging on the ground. You're looking at bacteria, the kids not being able to feed because it's too low to the ground. So you need strong structure in that um that udder there's also an la appraisal scores um which we're gonna we're gonna be getting eventually everything costs a decent penny to do you know and we're not made of money so we're gonna get there eventually but there's the la appraisal which um is basically like basically like an like a appraiser will come to your property but they appraise the goat so they see the way it stands they see how it holds itself and and how thick it is here or thin it is here and they tell you you know how long its neck is and they'll give it a number um best number to have is between 90 and 100 that means you have an excellent quality goat um it's not the easiest to obtain those numbers so you'll see more often like in the 80s um which is just a very good conditioned goat and that's it's still a really good goat to have um and then there's um show history, you know, like did the parents win shows and stuff, because that's also um, an indicator that the babies may be able to, or um, it could be passed on in certain which ways and stuff. So there's a lot of different things people would look for. And then there's, you know, regular everyday people who are just looking for um, like a pet, but they want a certain color pattern. Nigerians come with such excellent color patterns. Actually, what Forky is here is my absolute favorite. It's called a Chamose, um, and it's a black underbelly with black legs and um, the uh, the brown body with the black stripe down the back. But then there's a lot of different other ones. You have buckskins. You've got moon spots. Moon spots are different little like misplaced spots of different color on the goat. It can be anywhere and. A lot of people look for moon spots. People sometimes want blue eyes over um, non-blue eyes, or you have horned goats, or you have pulled goats. There's a lot. <laughs> that does sound like a lot. It's yeah. it's interesting trying to figure out like 
what the values of all those characteristics would be like i don't know is it more 400 450 500 high mm -hmm. as six so, so like it's weird to like is there what's the what's the goat market by you like is it competitive are you like it's like you and one other person that are goat breeders um um it that i've had to for the most part travel to get my goats i haven't found a lot of people locally by me who um who have this breed the one um <laughs> i didn't even know she existed until like last year is the one I got Forky from, and she's actually only about 15 minutes away and uh, works right down the road from me. So we've, we've become friends now. Um, but she's got she's got goats that are, I mean, I can't even compete with hers because she shows everybody and she's got them all on milk testing. Like I can't, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up one day. But, um, but I mean, market-wise, I mean, I've traveled up to, five and a half hours away to go get my guys. So, I mean, I think if you put them as a reasonable price and, you know, you, you show people that you care and that your goats are well cared for. I mean, there's also disease testing. Um, I, I do that. I think it's very important to disease test your herd. You can introduce things to your herd if you don't. Um, and a lot of people like, I will never buy a goat that's not from a herd that's disease tested. Some people will. So, I mean, there's there is a market where someone could be selling one, but they may not test for, for stuff and they could be giving you anything, you know. So <clears throat> I don't really do it to be in competition with anybody. I do it because I need milk. You got to breed them in order to get milk. And they just happen to be their own little money bags there, too. So it just it, it, it helps. Do you sell the goat milk itself? Um, I don't really want to get into selling food products or dairy products or anything like that. I feel like there's way too much red tape to go through to do it safely and not get sued. Um, so I don't sell the milk and, um, I only like give eggs to friends and stuff like that. I don't really bother with like farm food stuff. I think there's just, I'm just, it's out of my realm of comfort level, I think. So I do the soaps sure. and um, I really enjoy the soaps. I keep them as natural as possible. I refuse to use um, fragrance oils or um, anything, um, any colorants or anything like that in there. Anything I do for color and stuff comes from like actually infusing something from a plant to get that color from the plant to go into the soaps and um essential oils and things like that for scenting i've also infused oils with like vanilla and stuff because you can't get in a, a, a vanilla essential oil it doesn't exist so like you have to infuse other oils and stuff to get like a vanilla scent mm. um so um i i stay as natural as possible but i'd rather do the soap side of things than the food and then i'll keep milk for ourselves like riley loves yogurt and he loves milk the kids used to run outside to watch me milk amber and that's our big mama goat we were milking this summer they would run out there watch me milk her um and then be waiting for me inside when i'd come inside with the pail and pull the strawberry syrup out of their fridge and i'd look at them and go it's not even cold yet so, I mean, it was a fight to even take any of the milk for soaps 
because the kids were too busy going, I want to drink it all. That's so, really funny. Yeah. How many kids do you have? I have two boys. Okay. Um, that's really funny. Um, shoot. That made me forget my question. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember. Do you do uh, goat milk lotion at all? Um, I'm actually in the process of, I've designed it. I've made the recipe. I'm going to make um, a body butter, but it's not going to be a goat milk one to start. I'm going to start with just a regular body butter because as soon as I introduce any kind of um, water substance like milk or anything like that to um, lotion, you need a preservative to put in there. And I'm still mm -hmm. doing my due diligence on research of what I want to use. Um, because I'm very picky about, you know, stuff like that, because it's not exactly sure. natural, you know, I mean, soap, soap has lye in it. It's just, you can't get away from that. So it's also something that's not hundred percent natural, but it changes chemically as soon as it touches the oils. So I'm still trying to figure out what preservative I want to use. I'm pretty sure I know which one I want to use, but I have not made that yet, but I will be making a, um, a body butter, um, probably this week. I've already designed it, but I haven't been in my my soap room really to make anything or touch anything since I had the COVID because I don't want to contaminate anything until I'm sure. better, you know. That's fair. We use um, a goat milk lotion on my son's legs. He, he gets eczema pretty easily and pretty bad. Um, and we tried a bunch of different stuff. You want to talk about like, big pharma or whatever um like mm -hmm. the johnson and johnson uh eczema or a vino uh baby lotion stuff or whatever didn't do jack for it um we just do um very little goat milk lotion on his legs and that like every night um it's been no problem. Like he used to get it so bad that mm -hmm. um, it would be like, Oh, gross. Like what's wrong with your legs. And uh, I don't even know how my wife found out about the goat. She probably somebody she follows on Instagram that does like goat milk lotion. And so she's like, I'm going to buy some, I'm like, let's try it, whatever. And so we tried it. I'm like, this stuff is like made of miracles or something. I don't even know that. Um, it's um, great. I so funny that you say that because um, both my kids have horrible eczema. My mom has horrible eczema. My grandmother has horrible eczema. Um, I don't really have it, but I watch everybody in my life suffer from it. So I cannot advertise that my soaps or my products are to treat eczema because I am not a cosmetologist. But what I can say is I've researched a lot into the specific oils that I use in my soap and um, the super fat content that I leave, um, which if, if you don't know, super fat content in soap is a, um, it's a percentage of the oils that are not turned into soap that are left in it to continue to hydrate the skin. So if you have a zero, zero percent all you have is something that's cleansing that's probably going to leave your skin super dry and not, mm. uh, not fun. But what I do is I do a 7% super fat, which is kind of high, but eczema is a dry skin condition. It's 
only treated by moisturizing the skin and keeping it clean and everything else. So I use a 7% fat in my soaps and I use um, hemp seed oil is really, really good for eczema and certain essential oils and stuff are also really good for eczema. Since I started using my own soaps on the kids, um, they've had a world of difference in their skin. They have not broken out at all this winter. Um, and then my grandma was having such a hard time that the soap itself by itself was helping, but it wasn't, it was not helping her enough. Mm. So I just whipped together a bunch of the oils and I turned it into a salve with some, um, essential oils that are really good for, um, the same thing that they're good for eczema in there. And I brought over this jar of just a salve that I brought over, which is fine because it doesn't have any waters or anything in it. So it's good for, you know, a year on the shelf, just good shelf life. And she's been using it, just putting it in certain parts of her, her skin and stuff. And it's been clearing it up for her. <coughs> That's actually what I designed the, um, the body butter to be is because I wanted something that wasn't like a greasy salve. I wanted something that's um, more like the consistency of lotion with the same qualities as that. Cause I have a friend at work too, who tried it and she has terrible eczema. She came to me one day and she's, I don't know what to do. And I says, put it on there and don't, don't go easy on it. Put it on there and see how it goes. And after a week, she came to me like almost crying that she's so excited. She actually had to run to her parents because the first time in a long time, her skin's been clear. You know, it's, but it's my wild. stuff doesn't treat eczema. <laughs> it's just good stuff. It's just good stuff. I think you should put that on the uh, on the label. I might. Just good stuff. Um, wrapping up here. Uh, do you want to tell people uh, what you're doing uh, with uh, some of the proceeds from selling your soaps and stuff? I would love to. Um, so we are so grateful that we've been given this opportunity to do what makes us really happy and to watch our son just starting to thrive from being around these animals and that he's getting so much from them. And we feel like, you know, we've been given like this gift from the universe. So um, we, we decided to, to give back um, a percentage. And so every soap or lotion or whatever we sell, when we really start getting, getting going, um, everything we sell is going to, we donate 10% to a, um, a scholarship fund called the Devin Hausman Memorial Scholarship Fund. Um, we donate 10% of it every single month to, um, to this fund to help kids like my son get into, into certain colleges or programs or it's, it's, these kids don't get an opportunity, um, like a normal kid to excel or to get scholarships and things because they don't meet the typical requirements. A lot of them aren't even able to technically graduate because they're working on like an IEP and they're not classified as a normal kid. But like one of them may have a dream of, I want to open up a, a candle store and I'm really good at this and I know what I want to do. And some of the money can be donated or not donated, but given to the kid as a scholarship to help them get their feet on the ground but it's meant for children who are special needs or have special gifts 
to give them an opportunity that they might not, they might be overlooked for in any other place. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. We know the, um, and the two parents that started it, their son passed away in 2021. He was, it's so weird, but he was so much like my son. I mean, he was much older, but like almost to the T, all the stories I hear and stuff, I, I, I feel like I'm hearing stories about my son. And um, it was just a tragic thing that he passed away. And he was such a kind, sweet soul. And they wanted to do something because of, you know, in honor of him and in memory of him. And they started up this amazing scholarship fund. And their first year, their goal was to reach $20,000. That was this year. They had to reach it by December. December came and they were at $25,000, which $5,000 more was their next year's goal to get it up. And they've only been increasing and climbing and climbing. And every single month I sell soaps, every single month I've been almost doubling what I've donated the month prior, which is just, it's heartwarming. And it's, it's, I feel so good that we do it. And um, I really appreciate all the people who have bought soap and everything from us so that we can do it. Um, baby goats, when we sell them, we don't do a percentage, but we do $50 off the top of every baby goat, you know, so I sell a baby goat for $450, 50 of that 450 goes right to the scholarship fund to try and help these kids um, excel and get a chance to further themselves in life. That's amazing. That's really cool. Um, maybe we can uh, talk about this more after. Sure. But what I was thinking about today in prepping for this was like, what if she set up like sponsorships for like the goats? Like, sponsor a goat like whatever like i don't really know exactly how that would work maybe like the the breeding bucks you like since you're gonna keep them and you're gonna name them or or your son's gonna name them like hey would you like to sponsor forky for like 100 bucks or whatever and like that hundred bucks you would you know be added to your monthly amount that you write your check or whatever percentage of that amount like you someone sponsors the goat for could go towards that um scholarship fund i don't know just just like uh just an idea i had like floating around like how could other people get in on what you're doing it's just like i don't know just just curious so um, but Hey, is there, is there anything you wanted to wrap up on? Um, I definitely wanted to hit the donation thing. So I thought people should know, um, you know, what, what we do with the money and everything else. Um, I think, I think I'm pretty, I'm good. I, all right. Uh, where can people follow you? Um, right now, I'd say the best place to follow me is on our Instagram, which is Chicken Heart Homestead. Um, I will have links to that. Okay. Uh, I do have a Facebook page. We don't have a ton of followers, but um, I will be, especially in March and April, I'd like to gain more followers on there. Um, I may be posting live pictures of the uh, live videos of the births from the goats. Um, some people may think it's gross, but I think it's fascinating. So. 
Um, I'll probably be doing that um, on our uh, our Facebook page. Our website right now is under construction. I'm having okay. difficulties changing the domain name to the one that I've paid for um, from the one from like the free Wix website and stuff like that. So I'm having an issue getting that resolved. Um, mm. So right now I can't really give, it's supposed to be chickenheartfolmstead.com. But when I pull that up, it's not leading me to anything. So I'm I'm not the most tech savvy person in the world. So I'm trying. But Instagram is definitely the place to follow us. I post on there at least two, maybe three times a week, sometimes even more because I'm bored. And um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of um, forky content these days. He's been doing tricks. And actually, he's got two new tricks that he's going to be debuting soon, too. So I'm, I'm going to look for that. I'm going to look. I'm going to watch for that so nice um well cool uh you can follow farm hop life anywhere and everywhere um trying to make it hard to avoid us so this has been great i appreciate your time no thank you i appreciate yours hey everyone thanks for listening i'd love to hear from you please leave a comment review or send us an email farmhoplife at gmail.com those are always great to read like and subscribe as well but most important is sharing this podcast we really appreciate it you can check us out on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Float, MeWe, and Odyssey. Farmhop.life is where you can see stuff that we post on our social media pages and sign up for our email list so we can stay in touch. Farmhoplife.com is the main site where we'll have lots of exclusive stuff that we don't share anywhere else and some merchandise to help us keep going. Additionally, you can listen to the podcast there and add it to your player of choice. Also, where you can sign up for our email list to let you know of new episodes, interviews, or big changes. Check it out. Thanks. Mm -hmm.